Introducing the Two-Way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the Two-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the Two-Way for yourself at NewBalance.com. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Welcome back to the Healing Boys podcast, a serious, non-serious USC podcast. It is I... Chris Trevino, 10K Trevino, as always, joined by Shotgun Spratling, my co-host, and my fellow Helium boy. We are back with another episode, and as you know, we trade off hosting duties, so it is my turn to host this episode, which hasn't timed up right for me because i just coming from my improv class, and I blew out my voice in class, so Shotgun, I'm, I'm rummaging through this one. Chris, would you like a spot of tea? It was a character class, so that's very fitting that you, uh, you're you doing an accent. You're, and you're also, a character right now. And also the Golden Globes were this week, so, you know, there's a lot of accents going on then. You know, I saw, like, two of the awards be pre- being presented. It was the Secession show, right? You know, that was the only show I saw win. I saw one category. They literally had at least half the nominees, if not all the nominees. So I thought it was just a Secession, best person in Secession uh, category, but apparently not. I just... I just thought of this and I would love to do, you know, cause like after major award shows like this, they take them to the a press conference. The winners get to go to a press conference and they put them up in a stage in front of media, not media, uh, entertainment reporters. And they're holding their award. Like if you win an award, you get to do like a press conference about what happened or what, whatever about your win. Did you know okay. this? I did not know this. Well, and I, I've always kind of been curious is like, that's something that happens. Like we bring all the winners in at once, or do we bring them in as they win? And all the journalists are just sitting in the back. 
Like, all right, we're watching it on TV, and then we see someone wins. All right, they'll come in next, and then they'll talk about it. So they do that, and Sarah Snook, who plays uh, Shiv on Succession, her little she's, clip went viral. What was it Shiv? Think? Her name is Shiv? Like, literally, she's yeah. a prison shank? Siobhan. Siobhan. Her name right. is Siobhan. She goes right. by Shiv on the show. Whatever. <laughs> Sarah Snook, the actress, won a Golden Globe uh, the other day. She goes up to her press conference. They ask her two questions, and then it's pure silence. And it's very awkward. And she goes, don't all ask it once. And then they, like, play her off. They're like, okay, nobody wants to ask more questions, so she can leave. It's very awkward and comfortable. And I had shame. Shame on entertainment journalists. Do better. They asked two terrible questions. And I feel like if you dropped us into that room, we would do a lot better having no real entertainment experience or interviewing uh, experience in the entertainment business. But we would still crush that that presser shotgun. I mean, I would hope we would do a little bit better than just two questions. But, hey, we've all been in those type press conferences where or scrums where, where you come up and like, I haven't been in the scrum at all, so I'm just kind of letting it play out. I want to hear what's going on. I'm not recording it or anything. And then you like hear the questions. You're like, why are they asking about? Did I miss something vague? And sometimes I just like take over a, a scrum. That has happened a couple times at USC where I'm like, what is going on here? You know what? F it. I'll just take over. I'll ask the questions, and then I feel bad that you know other people are getting the entire recording of me asking good questions and they're not asking anything. But that's another story for another day, Chris. Even just wants to go hero ball in a scrum. He's like, I gotta take over. I gotta go hoop every time. Sometimes ISO, let's go. Especially ISO. now when I don't I don't get to be there every day. I'm very distraught about that, not being able to 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 be able to have those type of interactions. So when I come in, I'm 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 shooting shooting it up. Put my putting the put the ball in my hands, it's going up. You know, Lou Williams style, baby. Six man. You may have thought, Chris. Golden Globes has taken over two-minute drill, but we haven't actually done the two-minute drill, and not much has happened except, oh no, the official end of the Pac-12, the end of the college football season, national championship has been claimed. Maybe Shotgun will talk about that for his two-minute drill, or he'll talk about whatever the heck he wants. He has two minutes. Shotgun, are you ready? I guess, Chris. Let's go. Okay, you're on the clock starting now. So Chris did not get to watch all of the the championship game. He uh, saw the first half, a tiny bit of the second half. He didn't miss too much the second half. Um, Unfortunately, it wasn't a great college football game, but it was a good matchup. It was fun and everything. But as I tweeted out, it was a fitting end for the Pac-12. There was plenty of promise, and then it was unrealized. While others were able to maximize the advantage for big wins, the Pac-12 was not. Michigan got some calls that definitely helped them out or got some non-calls that definitely helped them out, and Washington did not, and Washington could not overcome that. Michael Penix did not look like the same quarterback because he got hit. So what's the lesson we take from this, USC fans? You need someone to hit the quarterback consistently. You need to be able to get to the quarterback more consistently. Now you got to stop the run. That's very important. You know, Blake Corum runs wild. Donovan Edwards had a couple of touchdowns in this as well for Michigan. Uh, you know, those things you can't, you got to be able to stop first. But then you get to the quarterback and hit him. So you have a high profile offense like Washington has. Well, their running back gets hurt early. 
but then you get to the quarterback and suddenly you change the game because you're able to hit him and he's constantly grabbing at that rib section. I'd be curious to see if there's an MRI done or an X-ray if Michael Penix doesn't have a couple cracked ribs or something after that one. You know, it took some big hits in that. But if you can get to the quarterback consistently, it changes the entire output of the game, the entire out, the outlook, outcome, out everything, out, out, out. And that means your outside guys getting to the quarterback, but also your inside guys being able to make, get some pressure as well. Mason Graham was terrific in this game for Michigan, just down the street from USC at Servite. And USC did not recruit him until very late in the cycle. So can USC get those trench guys and get to the quarterback now they go to the Big Ten and have to play teams like Michigan? No shotgun. Yeah, I'm gonna give it to you. I'm gonna give it to you. I think it was 201, but I'm gonna give it, it to you. It was not 201. You, Come on, you it were was looking very clearly 201. No, it was not. It was I stopped at 159 and a half. If even that, 159.2. Okay, whatever you say. I, I'm in a good mood, shotgun. I'm ready to move it along. I, Lies I, I and slander. A lot of great points, Chris. You're two minutes starts now. Lies and slanders. That's the name of my autobiography. When I die. <laughs> Yes, I only got to see the first half of the game, and I don't really have any, you know, overarching good points like you made. I did want to say I watched the game in the Spanish dub. I did not know ESPN has an entire, an entire ESPN all Spanish crew. I did not know that. Yeah, ESPN so Deportes. that was Come on. I wasn't aware of this. I'm sorry, yeah. I was not aware. As a cilantro boy, I, I, I like seeing a cilantro coverage, and it made every play, even if it was like a two yard run seemed like the most important play in the world. So that that was a fun little experience for me. Congrats to Michigan. Obviously, the Big Ten is the champions. USC remains the last Pac-12 team to ever win a national championship and the last Pac-12 team to win it as an undefeated champion. So USC will hold that distinction as the Pac-12 officially comes to an end. I don't have anything else to add about the game. I do have a minute left. So I do want to tell a quick story. I was at a party. The It has relevance. It was I was at a party over the weekend, and I start to talk to this guy, this random guy I never met. He's from British Columbia. Randomly asked me if I have a tattoo. So this is the first time anyone is at a party has ever asked me if I have a tattoo. So obviously, I roll up my pant leg, and I show him my giant 10K tattoo on my leg. He looks at it for a couple seconds. Then he looks up at me, and he says, 18k and i bust out <laughs> laughing because obviously it's a 10k but i explained to him the joke about it why it looks like a 18 but it's a 10 and then he goes oh did you run a 10k and then that is just perfect because people would make jokes like people would ask you if you ran a 10k and that's never happened until this very night shotgun so all my fears came together in one little party in a conversation that's all i have i just want to share that story all right, good thing I gave you those 0.8 seconds that I had left all over. All right, all right. Uh, it, all right, buddy. my generosity because otherwise you wouldn't have made it. Yeah, yeah, whatever, whatever. I'm the host, so I can change anything it's a, I want. It's okay. I also interrupted you. I apologize, uh, you know, That's to true. drop some ESPN uh, Deportes knowledge on you. But the Megacast, I didn't get to fully experience the Megacast because that's one of my favorite things. I usually put up multiple screens. You know, I want the all 22 on one screen. I want the Skycam or whatever. Um, and I may flip between the audios of different ones. But this time I just went straight because I, I went to watch the game with, with some buddies, uh, you know, at least the, the first three quarters and then came back home and really focused in on that fourth quarter. And it was close. It was 
It was looking like it was going to be a good game, but just Washington could never get anything going. And again, that come all came back to Penix being uncomfortable in the pocket. It felt very much similar to me to the Notre Dame USC game, whereas Caleb Williams got pressure constantly in his lap and he was uncomfortable. And you saw probably the worst performance of Caleb Williams' career so far, and whether it be little league, high school, anything, um, because he had that pressure sitting on top of him, and that was the thing with Penix. Just the balls that were the open shots, they designed some really nice plays. Kalen DeBoer, they had open guys. I call ball game actually when it was, what, 14-3 or 17-3, and you know, and Washington misses a wide open Roma Dunze, which should have been a touchdown. And I said, oh, that's ball game. Like, if you're not connecting on those type passes, you're not going to end up winning a national championship. Those are the type plays you have to make in a big game, and that didn't happen. So, you know, there's always lessons in those big games to take away for whatever team you are, are you know, that you support or that you are a fan of, or for us that we cover. And I think it comes back to affecting the quarterback. Now, it was interesting the dichotomy of the conference you are coming from, pass happy. You know, great quarterbacks, great receivers versus the conference USC is going to with we're going to focus on the run game. And even though J.J. McCarthy may be, he's an NFL guy, and he may even be a first-round guy. I don't know. We'll see where he he falls if he even goes into the NFL draft this season. That's still to be determined. But they didn't rely on him like in the Pac-12 where it's spread it out, we're going to rely on the quarterback, we're going to scheme some things up, get it to, to the receivers out in the open and let them go. Michigan didn't let them do that. So I, I think it was very interesting, the dichotomy that will be there, and also that USC will face these two teams next year, both of these two teams. They're one of, I think, four teams in the country that will face both of the uh, the championship contenders next season. And I did say after the game, and – USC fans can hold me to this, or they can get upset about it, or they can be excited about it. It's, meh, national championship or not. I still got Michigan losing that pack, that that Big Ten opener next year. The new Big Ten. Chris, who's US, who does uh, Michigan open with next year? USC. Oh, okay. So I still think that USC will beat Michigan next year. Now, I will put on that that I believe that J.J. McCarthy and Corum are leaving, possibly even Jim Harbaugh. So that all kind of plays into my thought process, but I got USC winning as of right now. Harbaugh is definitely leaving. I have zero faith that he's going to come back. So I think it's going to be a very, very different looking Michigan team for next season. Still probably have a ton of talent, but we actually have a question about that later in our questions portion. So I'll save that for when we talk about those two teams. USC, you're right, playing next season in the Big Ten. You talk about protecting the quarterback. I think that's a nice segue into our only real topic before we get into our season superlative section of this podcast, where we got a different, a bunch of different awards to hand out from USC's 2023 season. But protecting the quarterback is obviously a huge part of football. It will be a huge part of next season, especially in the Big Ten. But USC got some big help returning in 2024. In Jonah Monheim, their stalwart offensive lineman. He's not officially put it out there, but that's not his style. So we would do it for him. But we have confirmed multiple rumblings that Jonah Monheim will be returning for 2024. And that is a huge, huge win for USC's offensive line that is losing a lot of good pieces 
from next season or a lot of experienced pieces from next season because, as we know, the USC offensive line was very inconsistent in 2023. Jonah Monheim was the most consistent portion of that and as a guy who has gotten better and better over the last uh, couple seasons since he took over as a starter, got benched, but then he came back in 2022 and had a huge breakout year, moved to left tackle in 2023, now coming back in 2024, trying to raise his draft stock a little bit more, played right guard for USC in the Holiday Bowl. It appears he's going to be moving into the interior for next season, but USC does have some holes to fill on the offensive line. But Jonah Monheim is a good piece to get back shotgun. No, this is a huge piece. You know, outside of getting a Caleb Williams type of quarterback, you know, a franchise quarterback, first-round draft pick quarterback in the transfer portal, this is probably USC's biggest recruiting win. Now, if they are to get a five-star defensive lineman, maybe that would surpass it. But Jonah Monheim, experience, been in the system for two years with Josh Henson. The fact that he's versatile, you can move him around. Now, we expect him to play interior because that's part of the reason why he would come back is to play in the interior and be able to build that resume for NFL teams and NFL scouts and show you know what he can do there. But it's not a guarantee. He can still line up at left tackle if USC does not find someone. And he was he had the sixth best uh, pro football focus pass blocking grade of any tackle in the country. A guy that's not supposed to be a left tackle. He doesn't have the length that you were looking for in a prototypical left tackle. So that's one of the reasons why, you know, when he played right tackle early, we said, okay, that's a solid position for him. And but we think his best spot for the future is interior. We think that is for the NFL levels because he just doesn't have the arm length that you would want out of a traditional left tackle, but he overcomes it because of his tenacity, because of the way he studies, because of all those things, he still was able to have an 87.8 pass block grade this season. The sixth best of any offensive tackle in the nation, the the fourth best of any PAC 12 offensive lineman, and he will likely be the highest of any returning Big Ten offense lineman and any returning tackle coming back next year. You know, if you were to stay at tackle, if you want to consider him a tackle, either way, of anyone who played tackle this year, he will have the best pass block grade of any of those people. The only person who has not declared yet was Washington's Troy Fatunu, uh, who I believe will declare after this college football playoff championship game. But everyone else is either already declared, out of eligibility, either way. Uh, so Jonah Monheim coming back, that is huge for USC. This is very similar to me to Lincoln Riley getting Andrew Voorhees to come back. He was an All-American the year before to get him to come back and add with him Brett Nealon, getting both those guys to come back, just that stability on the offensive line. Because now, yeah, you're losing Justin Dietrich, you're losing Jarrett Kingston, Michael Tarquin, three guys that have started, uh, and Tarquin a part-time starter, but two, you know, Dietrich being a six-year senior, now Monheim being a captain on the team is that bridge for Emmanuel Pregnon for that freshman class, but also the class coming in. He can he's the guy. Everyone is going to be looking at him. There's no question about who's the leader in that room. Do we look to Jonah? Do we look to Justin Dietrich? Do we look to Jared Kingston? Do we look to blah 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 blah? No, everyone will be looking at Jonah, and because also because of the way he acts. He's not a rah-rah guy, 
But when he speaks, you better believe every one of the team stops and says, all right, Jonah's saying something. I better pay attention. That's the respect he has in that locker room, and that's why it's such an important piece for USC to get back. This is a huge, huge news for USC to be able to get him back, especially because we were hearing some rumblings like, oh, it looks like he's leaning towards going. So for him to come back and for us to get confirmation on that and you know, for, for you to put the story out that Jonah Monheim's coming back, I put it, uh, you know, Chris had the story. Um, I added some pieces to it, some some of the things from my charting and stuff. He has participated in 2,418 snaps in his career. So if he continues with the trend the last two years, he's had 1,900 the last two seasons. If he continues that, he's going to be up over 3,000 snaps in his career at USC uh, if he is able to stay healthy next year. So, you know, that is absolutely huge for USC to have that experience, especially with kind of the transition they're in. You know, last year was, oh, we got we got five guys that are basically coming back. Or we got, you know, we're bringing in Haskins. He's an older guy. Hey, we're bringing in a couple older transfer pieces this year. But we have these five freshmen we're really excited about as Josh Hitson. And now you got, you could add to that with the four or five guys they're bringing in as well in this class. So now he can be that transition piece as you're trying to get that young talented depth up to speed and becoming that next that next crew to take over the offensive line. He's still going to be the stalwart either in the middle, you know, at one of those guard spots, you know, or at center. Either way, uh, it's just huge news for USC to get him back, I think. I knew you would bring it up, but I'm glad you did the comparison to Lincoln Riley getting Andrew Voorhees to return for another season off his All-American season. That's what it feels like. That's how impactful impactful it is. So Yes, I agree with you 100%. And it's interesting in terms of his, you know, trying to raise his NFL stock. He's almost doing the Elijah Vera Tucker in reverse. Elijah Vera Tucker, elite interior guard, showed he could play left tackle and ended up getting drafted really high. Jonah Monheim has played primarily as a tackle, now probably going to be an interior guy in his final season. So just a little bit of a compare and contrast between their paths in terms of showing their versatility for next season shotgun's giving me a little i don't necessarily agree with that yes and no i think that's a yes and no because vera tucker was able to show hey i can play guard and then he moved to tackle and was like whoa okay you can play tackle too in a pinch and you've actually seen him with the jets and unfortunately because the jets their injury troubles they've had he's played pretty much i think he's played four of the five spots i think he's played everything but center for the jets during his career um because you know they've had They've had tackles get hurt and be like, all right, we can throw ABT out there and it's fine. So with him, he hasn't been able to show yet that he can play in the interior. Everyone thinks like, okay, that's the best spot for him. That's where he will excel. But that isn't really where, he, where he's played. I mean, he played a little bit of that, if I remember correctly, in, in 2000, 2001. Um, you know, 2001, he started right tackle. Jalen McKenzie kind of took over a little bit. He kind of was kind of a um, a swing guy for them. Uh, and, and played a good amount, but then it's been the last two years where he's really taken over, but both those years have been tackle. So I, I think it is a little bit different in that AVT had already proven he could be a guard and just showed a little bit more with that, whereas this, he's trying to still prove that he can be that interior guy. That's what I'm saying. He's proving he can play an interior spot. On the flip side of AVT showed he could pl- play a tackle spot. It's just reverse. It's just backward shotgun. Right, it's right. memento. It's tenant. It's moving backwards and forwards at the same time. Shotgun. I have not watched tenant. I did watch memento in the last year ish or so. Uh, so that was a very interesting move. Both of them, Christopher Nolan, I believe. 
Yes, both of them. Christopher We're going Nolan. right back to Christopher Nolan and the Golden Globes. I got to ask you, Chris, I asked this question yesterday to my roommate. Is it now Christopher Nolan and Scorsese and that's it? Is that the top level? Or is there someone else in that that upper tier? This is definitely not Joda Monheim related. <laughs> but you love it. You love it. I do this for you. I Chris. do love it. So why don't you just save it to the end? But yeah, I would say, you know, in terms of that big blockbuster, yeah, probably no one is in that S tier. You know, there's some guys though. There's some guys though. Uh Fincher, I think, could be up there as well. Uh Dennis Villanueva, you know, did the big blockbuster. Uh uh, Blade Runner 2049 obviously has Dune. That's coming out. That's going to be a big, big movie. So I think there's some guys, you know, up there as well. But yeah, I think it's a clear those two at the top, Scorsese and uh, Nolan. But, you know, there's some guys right there in the heels. That's all I'm saying. That's all I'm saying. I will say my roommate pointed out Steven Spielberg, the breadth of work that he has in different categories and different genres, you know, makes him... Uh, a little bit different there too, and he you you can't not include him. USC still Steven Spielberg. Steven Spielberg, Steven Spielberg, the Jonah Monheim of directors. He can do a little bit of all. I'm I'm I'm, I'm trying to I'm trying to tie it back. <laughs> I know we would be amiss if I didn't he, kind he, of comment. There, on... there is already a USC connection with Steven Spielberg. He's got his name on a sure. building. So, sure, sure. I would be amiss if I didn't kind of quickly look at what the future offensive line could look like with Jonah Monheim coming mm-hmm. back. It's, it's interesting. Cause as you mentioned, and we pointed out, he's so versatile. You could play him anywhere. He could be the left tackle again next season. He could be the right guard. Like he was at holiday bowl. They could put him on the left side and swap Emmanuel Pregnant to the right side and let him get some experience there. Cause he's mainly been left guard. So there's a lot of different ways you can play with it. But having, but not knowing if USC is going to get a transfer offensive lineman, you know, that's really the big picture. Like, if they're able to get a starting center, you know, that's a big, big hole yeah. they got right there if they pull one out of the transfer. Do they go and get a left tackle? Or do they just try to get a right tackle and give it to Elijah Page for next season? I don't think we could jump to that conclusion right now, obviously. But it's very interesting what this configuration of the USC offensive line coming back. Obviously, you get Emmanuel Pregnant. He's going to slide in there somewhere, probably a left guard. Jonah Monheim could play as many as three different positions. Elijah Page showed us something in that Holiday Bowl win. I don't think you can make him the left tackle. Shotgun is, again, poo-pooing my comment. Shotgun, Chris. Go for it. You're giving me the look. You're giving me the shotgun look where it's like I'm about to – Go off on you. But let me finish my point. <laughs> Elijah Page showed you something at left tackle. Showed you he has a bright future there. You can't make him the left tackle just yet. Maybe you can put him at right tackle. Let him get that experience. You have Mason Murphy coming back, who is a what I call a flex starter, who could start in guard or at tackle. He has played left tackle. He's played right tackle. He's played interior as well. So there are a lot of versatile spots along this line. You have Gino Quinones coming back from his injury. Maybe he is your center for next season. Maybe he's going to kick into a guard as well and let Jonah Monheim go back to his more traditional position of right tackle where he has the most experience. I don't know. There's so many combinations, but I still think USC needs to get at least two veteran offensive linemen from the portal. You need a tackle because if you don't, you're, you're not ready to play page there. You have to start someone at left tackle. 
I think Jonah Monheim wants to play interior for his NFL aspirations. So go get a left tackle. And then I think you got to get a center. You know, your center depth is very wonky right now. You have a preferred walk-on. You have the number one center prospect coming in as an early enrollee, Jason Zandamella. Maybe, just maybe, but asking a lot of him to to be a guy next season. But who knows? We'll see what happens in the spring. Big 10, he's got to learn a lot. Still kind of a raw guy, but ceiling's so high for him. So you got to get interior guy at center. you got to get a tackle. And then, you know, you hope Alani Noah develops. Tobias Raymond, looking great. Last couple times I've seen him, he is big. He is strong. Just needs a little bit more playing time. Amos Talele, is he ready to contribute? I don't know. We're going to see. But getting Jonah Monheim is a big hole that you fill. What hole it's going to fill? I don't know, Shotgun. I don't know. As of right now, if I look at it, I think Jonah Monheim for USC's needs is their best option at center. Now, the snapping is always a question with center. We're just looking at – we're just going to assume the snapping will be okay. Now, that is a – that's a big jump because we saw what happened with Toa Lobendon and all the struggles he had you know, during that, that year and love of life of Clay Helton and everything else. But assuming the snapping is fine, he's your best bet at center right now. Zanamella's, I don't think anyone, I don't think any freshman is ready to come in as a true freshman and be a center. There's so many calls. There's so many, it's so different than high school. What you're being asked to do. It is such a vast learning curve to come in and be the center, especially with a new quarterback. You know, Kayla Williams was back for his third year. Maybe that helps out Zanamella that much more, but no. So I think right now, Jonah Monheim is your best bet at center. He's got experience. He's seen so much already. He's a super intelligent kid from everything we've been told, you know, as far as breaking down film, all those type things. Gino Quinones, another option there. He does have some experience. You know, both of those guys have taken center snaps and practices in the past. But I think Gino Quinones, if he comes back and is healthy and he's on the same trajectory he was this year, disappointing way for his season to, to end with that injury early. But because it was early, should be back healthy to start the next season. And if he's back on track to where he was, you know, he was very excited about the season. That's, you know, he when I talked to him before, and during the media day before the season, he was so excited about being able to contribute for the first time. You know, he, he got a little bit of action the previous season and – just talking about how he had never really been an offensive lineman growing up. And then suddenly he'd been thrown into it and all the troubles, he, trials and tribulations he had gone through at USC because he wasn't truly an offensive lineman and learning and things, you know, his dad's a football coach and him being thrown into the mix and just not understanding what the hell's going on to begin with. Like, oh, wait, how do I sit and do this? Because I've never done this before. And so it took him three years of learning. So the last year, he was super excited going into the season. It looked like he was going to be a you know key contributor for them in that rotation. To go down, it was very disheartening for that to happen to happen to him. But if he is able to come back and be on the same trajectory he was going into this past season, you know, it gets healthy. He's a center option as well, but he's the other guard. If not, I think your three interior players as of the roster right now. Are Pregnon, Monheim, and Monheim and and Gina Quinones. So then the question becomes: all right, what do you do at tackle? Because I think that's your three best options at the interior spots. 
But I also think Mason Murphy is much better as an interior player than as a tackle. At least that's what he's shown so far. Now he's got, you know, he's another guy that's pretty raw and only played basically two years of football before he got to USC, uh, two and a half, somewhere in there. So, you know, can he make a big jump at this point in his career? Usually that would have already happened by now, but that's still a possibility. You know, young in his football career, as far as his experience there, he would need to take a big jump for me to feel comfortable. Like that's a stalwart tackle. That guy's going to lock it down and either block the blind side or block the front side of your quarterback. I think you feel comfortable that Elijah Page is ready to take that jump. He's already shown a jump from the beginning of the season to where he was now. Justin Dietrich talked about it, you know, during the bowl practices. You don't really see these guys as a starter. You don't see these guys that are on the scout team. You don't see what they're doing. You're not going back and watching tape of the scout team when you're a starter. Like, you don't have time to do that. You don't have time to be like, all right, I just want to see how the scout team's doing against our defense and see how these freshmen are. You don't. But then when bowl prices come up and suddenly this, you know, all the freshmen are getting some reps with the first and second team again, and he said, whoa, you just like you're thrown back, like, oh, how much this guy's grown since the beginning of the season. So Elijah Page was already taking a jump. Now it's time to keep going. In the bowl game, he was sufficient. But that's not what you need as your left tackle going to the Big Ten. He was sufficient, but also Mason Murphy was rotating in. And actually, when I broke down the combinations, now it wasn't just the left tackle, but the combinations of when what the the alignments were for the offensive line, when Page was in there, they had two punts, they had an interception. When Macy Murphy was in the game, they scored a touchdown every single time. Now, that's a big jump of, oh, he caused that or not, but... I'm just saying that you know it's something that still has to through the interception. Yes, he did. He, you didn't see that? Uh, no, I'm not saying that. But I'm saying that the offensive line produced better when he was not in the game than when he was in the game in totality. That's a very wide-eyed view of it or a very narrow view of it. Um, but I think he is the future for sure. I think he can be the left tackle next year, but I don't want to jump and say that he already is just because he played 60% of the snaps in a bowl game. He did look solid and sufficient, not necessarily a stalwart yet. So let, I just want to, I want to be clear with it. I didn't say stalwart. I Jonah Monarch is clear with what we're talking about. That's true. Uh, but I think that's one of your, definitely one of your offensive tackles. The question is, who else is ready for that? Is Mason Murphy ready to take a jump? Is someone else that's not on the roster yet coming in? Is one of those freshmen, Tobias, I mean, one of those redshirt freshmen now, Tobias Raymond, you know, is he able to take a jump? You know, that type of thing. He's changed his body for sure. Is somebody coming in in the class going to surprise us? I always think back to, you know, Marcus Martin, Starting as a true freshman three-star guy out of Crenshaw, no one thought anything of him. Like, oh, okay, he could be a good piece down the road. No one thought anything, and suddenly he's starting in game one. Now, part of that was there. I believe there was an injury in fall camp, if I remember back that far, and then he just took the reins and went with it. We'll see if someone can do that. But as of now, there is a tackle spot that is definitely open, and the interior, the best three 
in my opinion, right now are Pregnon, Monheim, and Quinones if Quinones is healthy. College football and playing college football, I feel like, is, you know, when you get in a pool shotgun and it's super cold, you kind of like inch yourself into it slowly. Wait, is this a Bass Pro Shops reference? This is not a Bass Pro Shop <laughs> reference, but great <laughs> reference you have made there. If you know, you know. But look, Elijah Page is about up to his uh, his knees. He's a big man, so it's not all of his body, obviously. But he got his feet wet, is what I'm trying to say, Shotgun. Yeah. Now they're hoping to wait him more into the pool. Get him up to the, the mid-waist, and then by you know it, he'll be in the deep end with Jonah Monheim and Emmanuel Pregnon and those veterans who know what it takes to play snap after snap at a high level. Obviously, the Big Ten will be a new challenge for all of them going from the Pac-12, but you just got to get Elijah Page further in that water. You're hoping Alani Noah can get a little bit deeper into that pool. You're hoping Tobias Raymond can get his first little taste of that cold water for taking the plunge and moving in. So that's what USC is hoping for. That's what Josh Henson is hoping for. And I think that we're going to see a lot of development and opportunity for those young guys in the spring camp coming up here at Shotgun. I, I just think if you're having uh... – if you're having Monheim and you're having Page go into a pool and go into the deep end, then you're gonna have some elite hair flips coming out of that. You know, we can get oh, some great absolutely. slow motion video of the hair flips here. You know, we'll, we'll throw that in for for future, um, you know, future highlight reels for you, Chris. Just the offensive line, just crushing it with some some elite hair, hair flips there. Crushing it. Shotgun, I think that's a good point to move on to the meat of our show, which is the season superlatives. We're going to hand out some awards for USC's 2023 season. Now, I know it wasn't the season that many people wanted or were expecting. Eight and five, a Holiday Bowl win. USC fans thought they were going to be playing in this game tonight, Shotgun, or at very least playing in the college football playoff. That did not happen. I don't want to say Caleb Williams' final year was a waste, but it did not come out to what it was supposed to be. He's giving me that look. Well, it kind of was a waste. He's giving me that look right now. But we've <laughs> got a re- bunch. Quit reading all my looks onto the podcast, look, Chris. I'm, you're serving looks, man. If you're serving looks, I'm going to tell the people what you're serving. <laughs> I'm going to tell the people what you're serving. We have a good amount of awards to go through. Uh we're not going to spend 30 minutes shotgun on each award, but Whoa. let's knock out some uh, awards here. And the only rule I have is there are no rules except for the one rule, which is multiple players cannot win multiple awards for your list shotgun. So we could have different, obviously, award winners, but you could only give one award to one player and they can't get any more. Do you understand that rule shotgun? I'm sure he will loophole it at some point. So basically you're saying Caleb Williams can't win every offensive award. Yes. Yes, that is what I'm saying. All right, fine. All, all right. Well, we're going to start I with tried, the obvious I tried. One. I just want to say this. I, for all the Twitter users out there that think I hate Caleb Williams for some reason, I tried to give Caleb Williams every award, and Chris wouldn't let me. All right. You heard it here first. We're going to start with the big one, which is the overall – Team MVP shotgun. I feel like this one is clear, but why don't you go first with your overall team MVP? I mean, it was the first one I filled out. So, of course, Caleb Williams' name went into it. And then sure. 
I couldn't use his name anymore. It wouldn't enter. It was, you know, one of those, you know, click on every sign to show your, your every crosswalk to show that you're human. And it wouldn't let me use Caleb Williams name anymore for some reason. So Caleb Williams is definitely the MVP. He is more than likely going to be the number one pick. If not, he will be a top three pick at worst. I'm very hopeful as an Atlanta fan that they trade up and give a new coach and a, you know, generational quarterback. There are some questions I would still have if I'm an NFL team with Caleb Williams, but for USC, he did it all. He led them in rushing touchdowns. He was fantastic through the air. Unfortunately, it was not the sequel to the Heisman Trophy season that he had last year, in large part because he didn't have enough blocking and because the defense was asking him to score 612 points per game. Yeah, I mean, obviously I have Caleb Williams as my MVP pick, my MVP award for this little exercise for all the reasons that you just said. Obviously, it wasn't the season he was supposed to have. He didn't get the elusive second Heisman, but he is still a special, special player. And he demonstrated that multiple times throughout the year, despite it being, you know, an eight and five season. He put the team on his back at times. There was just too much team to pull at time shotgun. He literally could not do it all. He literally could not, even though he tried. So Caleb Williams is our official Helium Boys MVP award winner. Shotgun, we're going to move on to the Offensive Player of the Year award. First, can we say can, can we say Caleb Williams' numbers? 68% completion percentage, 3,633 yards, 30 touchdowns, 5 interceptions, and he also ran for 11 touchdowns. I mean, his numbers were better than his Heisman year with a – arguably worse cast around him, at least in the offensive line. The offensive line did not perform as well, so we won't say this. The cast was worse, but the offensive line performed better during his Heisman year, and he still produced better numbers this season. Uh, if it was just a numbers game, he would have definitely been in New York once again. I would have got a free trip up there, and it would have been great. Not good. I would like to go first on my offensive player of the year, if that's All okay. Right. I thought about this one, and I know there's different ways I could have gone, but I'm giving it to Taj Washington. Mm. I'm giving up to Taj Washington, a thousand yard receiver, came back, you know, was probably on the fringe of going last year, but he wanted to come back, got a thousand yards. I mean, outside of Caleb Williams, I think he was kind of one of the hearts and soul. Yes, this team had two hearts and two souls, and Taj Washington was one of them. And just, you know, playing in that Holiday Bowl sealed it for me. Sealed it for me, and him coming in, playing in that game, did not need to play in that game. I want to stress, did not need to play in that game. But he did, and as Lincoln Riley said, there was zero doubt that he was not going to play in that game. And that, for me, is why he's the Offensive Player of the Year. Simple as that. I have the same answer. Now, I will say, I do have one question. Okay. To play the devil's advocate here. Okay, fair enough. If Taj Washington can catch it, gets 78 yards against UCLA, is he now playing in the Holiday Bowl? Because he's over a thousand yards, I don't know the exact number that he needs. I think it was like seventy-three. But if he gets seventy-eight yards, he gets a hundred yards in the, in the UCLA game. 
is he playing in the Holiday Bowl? Because that was a large part of him playing in the Holiday Bowl. Now, that number doesn't actually mean anything, but that tells you it was likely a goal of his. That shows you he is goal-oriented, that he is going after that. Now, he only played 28 snaps in that. Now, they played a lot of freshmen and whatnot. In the Holiday Bowl, he played 28 offensive snaps, was the lowest he had played since the Stanford game when they were rotating a ton of guys. Once they got more serious as, you know, after that first bye week, you know, he was playing 35 to 50 to 60 snaps every game. This game he only played 28, and he played a decent amount early, and then it kind of, uh, you know, sloughed up a little bit there. So he was out to get his 1,000 yards. Lincoln Riley was out to get him his 1,000 yards. But I also had Taj Washington as my player of the year in large part. One, because I couldn't pick Caleb Williams. But two, because my other candidates chose to sit out that game. The other candidates for player of the year are Marshawn Lloyd. Marshawn Lloyd was fantastic for USC this year. He averaged 7.1 yards per carry. Give him the fucking rock, guys. Give him the rock more if he's averaging seven yards. And he had nine touchdowns. Caleb had 11. But, like, Marshawn Lowe was spectacular. The fumbles at the end of the season are a concern. My other candidate, Brennan Rice. Brennan Rice had four more touchdowns than Taj. He had six more. He had twice as many touchdowns as Taj in the regular season. He was the guy that Link, that Caleb Williams was looking to when he was scrambling in all those drills. But he had 791 yards. Taj had 1,062. So he had almost 300 more yards than him. And even though there's a touchdown discrepancy, you know, they had the same, basically the same average, you know, 17 and a half, 7, 18 yards per catch. And Taj Washington played in that game. Showed his heart and soul. Now, I give a lot of credit for Brendan Rice, Caitlin Bullock, Caleb Williams, all those guys for coming because there were some other guys who opted out, some other guys in the transfer portal, all that type of stuff who didn't show up in San Diego. Now, who was allowed to come, who was invited to come, who was not? I don't know all those specifics. But I will give credit to the guys that were there on the sideline to support their teammates and just watch the if you want to rewatch the game and watch Kalen Bullock whenever there is a tackle made in the open field, that man is going crazy for his teammates, for Prophet Brown, for Anthony Anthony Beavers, all that. Brendan Rice is super excited when Taj Washington scores that you know touchdown that puts him over a thousand yards. But yeah, Taj Washington for playing in that game definitely stood out. Offensive player of the year. Tucker, you're back up after all that. All right. We have to do defensive player of the year for a terrible defense, obviously, but somebody has to win the award. We have to give the award away to somebody. We can't return it to the trophy shop, so we have to give it to somebody. So who are we thrusting this trophy on? Who's going to in and out after their Golden Globes? Yeah, Paul Man. Giamatti shout out. Let's go. Yeah, let's go. Look how many gold globes references I've thrown in after seeing 12 minutes of the show. Uh, he saw he saw two awards <laughs> and thinks he's a golden globe reference god. I'm just I, I'm gonna tell you, I'm gonna hit up my uh my USC Annenberg classmates that cover entertainment and be like, I'm in, I'm in now, I'm ready to go. I'm back put me back on the red carpet. I did some of that in college. I'm ready to go be back uh interviewing Paul Giamatti about in and out. 
in and out versus Whataburger? That's the first question you got to ask him at the next uh, whatever, right? The answer to Defensive Player of the Year is easily Bear Alexander. He was the difference maker in the middle. Now, we'll say early in the season made a huge impact, just dominating. And then teams started to adjust. And the problem is not anything that Bear Alexander did. The problem is there was not a complementary piece there that would allow, okay, well, Bear's getting double team. That means so-and-so beside him is one-on-one, and that person is destroying that one-on-one. And now the offense is in a conundrum. Do we do a double team on Bear? Do we do a double team on this person beside him? Do we keep the running back or tight end in to block you know, Jamil Muhammad or, or Romello Height or Solomon Burr coming off the edge? That was never really the case. As the season progressed, teams said, stop 90 in the middle and you stop their pass rush. Now, 10 or 51 may get a pass rush every once in a while, may get a sack, but they're not going to have the big impact that Bear Alexander is going to have in the middle because he just causes so much havoc. But he was definitely the defensive player of the year because he changed what that defense could be. He presented the blueprint of, Get me somebody beside me. Get me somebody like I had at Georgia. Even on my backup squad at Georgia, as a backup, when I came into the game, there was somebody beside me that they had to pay attention to, too. That wasn't the case at USC. So that's the big question. That still is the concern and question for USC as they prepare to go into the Big Ten next year is, are they going to find somebody else to go beside 90 in the middle of that line? Is someone willing to break out the checkbook is there going to be a transfer in the portal that is worth breaking out the checkbook for to get someone in there that can be an impact player beside 90 that we that they can be throwing, you know, complimentary, uh, celebratory fist bumps or forearm shivers or the over-the-shoulder forearm thing that they do, which I don't really understand that one, but whatever. Always go back to the high fives, guys, if, you, if you're running out of ideas. My defensive player of the year is also Bear Alexander for all the reasons you just mentioned, but better than I could ever mention them, which I think plays <laughs> into our next award, the biggest disappointment award, which is not necessarily a player, but it could be a position group or a certain aspect of the team or the season or anything like that. Obviously, the easy one is to mail it to Alex Grinch. He gets the biggest disappointment award, but I'm going a little more hyper-specific and I'm giving the biggest disappointment award to the non-bear defensive line additions. Now, mm-hmm. when you look at USC's transfer class from last season, one of the most exciting aspects of it was USC's defensive line reinforcements with a Bear Alexander, with a Jack Sullivan, with an Anthony Lucas, with a Keon Bars. There was a lot of talent that they had picked up Some of it was unproven. Some of it was proven. But it all just needed to come together for this season. It did not come together this season, as you mentioned. Bear had no help. Even though USC did go out and get, quote-unquote, help, it did not show up on the field. Bear, number 90, had nothing playing alongside him. Keon Bars was a disappointment. Jack Sullivan, who we thought was going to be a critical piece, did not end up getting the playing time that we thought he was going to get. Anthony Lucas did not click in with more playing time. He would 
be inconsistent in terms of his play on the field and in terms of the reps he was getting. So for me, the biggest disappointment has to be non-Bear defensive line reinforcements. Yeah, I think there's a reason why Bear Alexander played more than twice as many snaps as any other defensive lineman. As far as interior defense alignment, you know, I'm not counting edge. You know, Solomon Bird was up similar to what he did, but Bailey Center has 629 snaps, the most of any defensive front player. And then the next closest was Stanley Taufu at 278. So more than twice as many snaps is like this guy's twice as valuable as any of you. And no one made an impact to say, no, 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 no. Give me those reps. I'm in there. I need to be beside him. I will make an impact. And probably the guy that did the best was Dejan Bitten, just because he played off of Bear Alexander, and because Bear Alexander would take out that double team, and Dejan Bitten could be quick off the line and in a one-on-one situation and could make an impact at times. But there was just not that consistency. And the guys they ended up counting on the most late in the season was Tyron Tolini, and he's just kind of a you know a, a bull in the middle that's going to hold his ground at 26 years old or 27 years old, however old he is. And, you know, he's not going to be an impact guy that's going to make it a bunch of plays. He's just going to hold his ground and not get pushed back like some of the other guys were doing. So they didn't never really found an answer beside him. And I mentioned two guys that had already been here, and it wasn't any of those guys. We thought Keon Barr is coming in. Like, all right, 90 and 92 are going to be the combo in the middle. And then we'll see what they have on the outside. You know, Solomon Bird kind of surprises early in the season. All right, so he's in there. Who's going to be on the other side? But 92 never became the consistent guy beside 90. It was never Keon Bars consistently beside uh, Bear Alexander because Keon Bars didn't make a ton of, t- of plays. And Jack Sullivan, early in the season, you know, he played, you know, about 20 snaps per game the first four games. And then he went a stretch where he played, I think it was – Five or six weeks, he played 33 defensive snaps. That's like he did, did one in there at all. This is a guy who came from a Big Ten school and had five and a half, six sacks there. Thought with his versatility, like, yes, I completely agree. And that was very similar to what I had initially put the defensive front in, in total, but the defensive front additions outside of Barry Alexander were, it was a, a huge disappointment. That's what I told – I get asked all the time about from coaches around the country in different sports, basketball, baseball as well. You know, they know I cover USC football, and they go, how's USC going to be this? And I said, I think they've they've addressed the issues they had really well. And that was Barry Alexander, Keon Bars, you know, Jack Sullivan, bringing those guys in with Anthony Lucas. And, hey, can they get a little bit out of Corey Foreman and Jamil Muhammad and – and it just wasn't the case. And so that was a huge disappointment. I will say, since you already said that, I will say my biggest disappointment in the same regard, quick honorable mention for Lincoln Riley not making players available to talk after a game. Like just, Accountability mm. is huge with me. Maybe that's – I get shitted on it, shitted on for on Twitter and stuff because I always complain about it when coaches don't talk or whatever, whether it's Mick Cronin or Lincoln Riley or players or whatever. But accountability is huge. When you – when you F up, you step up and say, I F'd up, and this is why. Whether that be in grade school, whether that be you spilled the paint, whether you spilled the milk at home, whatever it is, you didn't make the tackle, you didn't make the catch, be accountable for it, 
it shows much more of you as a person when you do that. But as the honorable mentioned, the biggest disappointment then is the defense not improving. I thought coming into the season, again, when coaches ask me, I say, yeah, defense, they should be better. You know, they got to be better than they were last year, right? But you saw the same exact issues over and over and over again. And I thought even – I thought, at, you know, the first couple of games, people, oh, how do they do this? How do they? I said, relax. It's not – it's okay. It's San Jose State. It's Nevada. You're allowed to make some mistakes as long as you're progressing. And I said that. I think – I said, hey, if they're making the same mistakes against Stanford and, and Arizona State, then you should be concerned. And we saw that. And there was definitely concern. And then with the Colorado, and it was even more of a concern. And he said, oh, shit, this could be bad. Um. But I thought the defense would get better as the season progressed because I thought, hey, second year in a system, guys know what they're doing. Those linebackers, you know, guys are going to make tackles a little bit better because they're not going to be hesitant. They're going to be attacking more. And then the guys, the new guys that came in, you know, all those transfers we just talked about, the transfers like Mason Cobb and guys in the secondary, all that. They're by the midway through the season, like they're going to be all right. We understand what we're being expected to 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 do what we're being asked to do, and we're going to be take a jump as the season goes on. Even the freshmen, Lincoln Riley talked about it early in the season. He's like, I'm super excited to have a true freshman class because you see those guys come on the last third of the season. And, hey, can they be an impact player, you know, if you get to a Pac-12 championship or you get to a bowl game? And that wasn't the case. Like that was hugely disappointing for me that the defense never improved. And I don't know if it was just confidence that played a big part into it. I think is that they got beat down and then they were, they just, they got down on themselves because the team against Louisville looked completely different than the team that we had seen during the regular season. So the defense not improving as the season went along was a big disappointment. We'll see if it changes next year. Or if the first couple of games are the same as the last couple of games, like it was pretty much this entire season for USC. Back on the next award is the Proto Star Award. And if you don't know what a Proto Star is, it's a still developing star. It's a young star. So, Shotgun, who is your Proto Star Award going to for the best young star on this team? So, when you think of young star, you think freshman, right? That seems natural, right? I'm going against that, Chris. I'm going with Jalen Smith. And people were like, he's a veteran, right? He's younger than Tackett Curtis. The kid is still a baby. And we saw him continue to get better. And he was fantastic in the Louisville game, playing a different position he hadn't played all season. He's still a young kid. And he's only going to continue to get better. And we've seen that each year from him, him take jumps. So for that reason, I got him as my best young star. I thought he was he was he was really good in, in the nickelback spot. I wouldn't say fantastic, but then he was absolutely fantastic in that Louisville game. The open field tackling was incredible. And he gives you that versatility next year if you're Danton Lynn uh coming in with him and Achille Arnold and a couple of the other pieces of I can move some guys around. I can put them in different spots, but I feel like Jalen Smith's a guy that I've got to get on the field. That's a great pick. And I think your reasoning for it as well matches up with a young proto star. For me, I went the more literal route with a freshman. I went Jacoby Lane. 
And it's probably recency bias because of he was him being one of the best performances I saw at the end of the year. And that his incredible second touchdown was right in front of me, right in my eye shotgun. So <laughs> that's still fresh in my mind. But I mean, my goodness, Jacoby Lane. I, I mean, I know he didn't go for like 10 catches for 170 yards and three touchdowns, but there are times where he was just dominating and it was only three catches and he, and he played incredible, made that incredible sliding catch, that incredible uh, grab over two defenders. And then the one before halftime, you know, he was making three plays all over the field and he's only going to get better. He's still a skinny little thing. He's still got to add weight. You know, he's got the work ethic. He's going to be incredible. And he just showed a glimpse, just a tiny little glimpse of what he is capable of. And he has a lot of momentum going into spring camp, the, the off season. And I hope he could turn that into what could be a really, really good breakout sophomore year. So Jacoby Lane is getting my proto star award. How good was he? He was good enough. The coaches decided we're not going to save a red shirt for him. Going into the UCLA game, he had played in four games already. You know, he gotten uh, a decent amount of snaps, about 15 per game in the four games he played, the three to begin the season. And then late in the season against Oregon, and maybe they want him to play against Oregon since that was one of the teams that, you know, was recruiting the hardest at the end. Hey, we want to play you against them. Make sure you're happy. Make sure they played him against UCLA in that final regular season game and, quote-unquote, burned his red shirt. So he did not get a red shirt this season, which tells you they think he's a guy that was going to be out of here in four years regardless. That's what that usually tells you. In one way or another, they say he's either good enough or he's not good enough that he's going to transfer or we're just not going to use him or whatever. He'll red shirt because we don't play him later. That's not going to be the case with Jacoby Lane. So that tells me that they think highly enough of him that they think he's going to be gone in four years regardless. So, you know, that's really impressive to me. And he didn't play a ton against Louisville. You know, he played 20 offensive snaps against against UCLA. He only played 16 against Louisville. But what an impact he made in those 16 snap that 16 snaps, you know, with the two touchdown catches were which were terrific. The third down catch was one of the best catches of the season. And it was a, a potential game changer because that was right after Miller Moss had thrown the interception, and that ball was behind him. Miller Moss had made a, a, a number of really good throws in that game. The, uh, the Kyron Hudson touchdown was fantastic. That was not a great throw. He zipped it in there, but it was behind Jacoby Lane, and he made his quarterback look good with that sliding catch you know, and, and reaching back behind and make it keep the drive alive or get the drive started, actually, because that was the first third down. USC picks up two other conversions on that drive and some scoring, and that really, I, th- I think, was the game changer, that drive compared to the rest of the way because of the interception right before it. Okay, the next award I think is going to be very easy, like the MVP award, but who is the true freshman of the year? You get to go first. You just, I just commented on your Jacoby Lane, so we're back to you. Well, of course, but I was also giving it to you because I feel like we're going to have the same one. Because the true freshman of the year, I feel like it has to be Zachariah Branch, the first first team true freshman All American in USC history, all while carrying a 4.0 GPA 
impressive getting it done on the field and off the field as well. We love Zachariah Branch. He's an outstanding young man and just a electric playmaker. The future is very, very bright for him as a returner, as a dynamic weapon. I can't wait to see how they use him next season. And I hope Miller Wass, with those beautiful catchable balls, can throw some deep shots to Mr. Zachariah Branch. I want to see that speed fully unlocked down the field in the offense. Yeah, I, I mean, honestly, I'm in love with the Branch family just as a whole. Dynamic athletes on offense and defense. The parents getting to meet them and, and chat with them after our uh, our Tunnel Vision show with through House of Victory with the Branch brothers was fantastic. If you have not checked out that episode, you've got to. As an, normally we do 15, 20-minute interviews. That one was about an hour long. Had so much fun talking to those guys. And then we still, Ryan and I talked to them for another you know, 25 minutes afterwards and talking with the parents and they're so down to earth and they have raised those two young men so well that I don't know how you can't love that family. And when they're explosive playmakers, if you're a USC fan as well, I don't know how you cannot love seeing one or eight on the defensive side um, and, and seeing the, the branch brothers go and make plays, but he was fantastic now, I will say, there he's just scratched the surface. There's so much more. There's so much more in there. I mean, we saw the impact in those first couple games, and then he didn't do a lot for a, a good stretch of time. They didn't design a ton of plays for him. But the question becomes, now that Taj Washington's gone, now that Mario Williams is gone, now that Brendan Rice is gone, now that Michael Jackson is gone, how many more plays get designed for Zachariah Branch going forward? Now, Miller Moss missed a couple throws. I talked about that a minute ago in this game. Two of them actually were deep over routes to Zachariah Branch, where he just didn't lead him out in front. One of them, Zachariah dove for. One of them was behind him and didn't connect. I, I, I said this on one of our previous podcasts. I think it was this one, that – I, that's a route that will be worked on by those two over and over and over this offseason. And I would not be surprised at all that they connect on it in the opener next year. But like, all right, we worked on this offseason. Off let, coach, let us run this one. You know, let's find the look and then we're going to run it and then we're, it's going to be a touchdown easily because those were potential touchdowns in that game. And we saw him make such an impact in the return game. And then USC's kickoff return was not good enough that they started calling their blocking was not good enough. They started calling fair catches. So like, there's so much more that could take place for number one. And we saw how electric he is when the ball is in his hands. I'm looking forward to seeing the rest of his two year career at USC uh, before he jets off, but so much more can be done, but definitely the true freshman of the year. Um, as you mentioned, first time a true freshman has ever been named an all American at USC. So that's, Pretty impressive there. Rakan, our next one is going to you first. It is the play of the year. What is the this, play of the year? This was difficult for you. me. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I got to go with Zachariah Branch here again. Using your weaknesses as your strengths is what I would call it. What do freshmen do? Even when they're electric like Zachariah Branch, they try to reverse field. They try to go lateral. They don't just hit the seam and get vertical and try to get some yards. So you design a play 
where your star freshman takes the ball on an end around and he reverses field. Oh, there's nothing here. Let me go back the other way. Except we're going to flip it back to Caleb Williams and he's going to throw it downfield and to a wide open Taj Washington. Just such a brilliant play design, you know, capitalizing on something that is a weakness and turning it into a strength. But also the the design of the play was great. Talking to Zachariah Branch again, that that tunnel vision we had uh, about you know how he tossed it back to Caleb Williams and heard the crowd go, <gasps> and he thought he had fun, like he thought he, the ball had been fumbled. He had to take a peek back. Those things are great, but also the execution of the play was fantastic. Taj Washington stock blocking and then taking off down the field to get it, but also. Austin Jones throwing a block like, you know, he's blocking for Zachariah Branch on the outside edge. So all the pieces were in place for that, and it was a big touchdown for USC against Washington, a team that they lost by 10 points to, that they could have been right there in the game with a little bit better defense. Did Washington have a decent year, Chris? I don't. I'm, I feel like I'm blanking on how they finished the season. I think they did all right. I think they did, did okay. okay. They made it to the college bowl play. Oh, okay. That's right. A team that USC could have beat with a better defense. They did not. And Washington gave them a ton of credit all season for being really good in close games. And hey, maybe USC doesn't lose it because of the close game. Washington has the experience, blah, 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 blah. But USC with a better defense is right there in that game. And, you know, it's 42 to 39 in a different realm. I also considered. Zachariah Branch and his 75-yard touchdown Mm punt return. The 96-yard kickoff return touchdown in his first college game ever against San Jose State where everything was young and perfect for USC where it thought, we're going to run the table. But just to do that, your debut is fantastic. But I also have to go with the trick play against Washington. It's just a beautiful piece of scheming and play design that even an NFL team tried it out and it did not come off nearly as uh, beautiful <laughs> as that, obviously. But yeah, just an elite uh, play design play. And to be able to witness it right it, coming right at me was great. I saw I got a great shot of it. So, yeah, that has to be the best play of the season by far. Shotgun. Uh, Kudos I, to I, you. I, like you said, the the kickoff return was the other one I considered. That was the one I first had written down, and then like as I'm scanning through highlights, I'm like, oh, did I forget so? Oh yeah, oh yeah, the re- the reverse field flea flicker. That's it. But the the kickoff was special because of the delay. It's all right. Just gentle speed, gentle speed jogging, and then oh, it takes off like Roadrunner in the in a Looney Tunes commercial, and no one from San Jose State was going to touch him. If he had scored and they had won, maybe if he returned that in the Notre Dame game on the road. That was a great one, too. He he was so close on probably four, if I'm remembering off the, clo- off the top of my head, uh, where he broke into the open field and either got clipped or whatever it may be or got caught on the sideline by an angle. But the, the punt returns were special, and that's part of the reason why he was an All-American. Um, and I, I told him, actually, I was like, I got to start standing in the sideline, I mean, in the end zone for your punt returns because every time you get tackled right when you get past me, because I'm usually on the sideline, you know, for those midfield uh, catches and stuff as as they're coming back down towards uh, towards the opposite goal line. So I was like, maybe I'll start standing in the end zone so that you'll actually get to the end zone before you get tackled. 
So another honorable mention is the Caleb Williams where he ran and kind of spun off the defender and kind of kept churning his legs to get the ball over the goal line. I don't remember what team it was against. I You vaguely, you have that look on your face like you don't exactly know what I'm talking about. But it was like a run design and he met with the defender and he kind of spun off him. He wasn't going to get it and he kind of showed the strength of his legs and he kind of spun off and kind of churned his way just over the line. I think it was against Utah, but I could be wrong. That was my guess off the top of my head. Um, There was either Utah. It was a home game for sure. And it was either Utah or Arizona. Um, I don't remember which one. Another contender in my book was the Caleb Williams two-point conversion. where Round on the head? Well, no, the, the, hey, we're going to line up in a specialty formation and it's not going to work. And then Caleb Williams is going to do his thing and get by everybody and score. So Caleb Williams doing Caleb Williams things. Next award, Shotgun, is Lineman of the Year, which obviously we gave Bear Alexander Defensive Player of the Year, so I think it would normally go to that. Now, I don't want to say this is a second runner-up, but it's going to Jonah Monheim for me, and we've already talked a lot about Jonah Monheim at the top of this show, but it's clear, you know, USC's best offensive lineman, the most consistent offensive lineman, one of the best tackles in the country, a deserving winner of this award shotgun. Yeah. The, the question would be like, are you debating offense versus defense burials Alexander with Jonah Monheim, the impact each of them have. Um, but since we are used burials Alexander made it a lot simpler um, as I had already put bear in my categories. And since you made these the rules that Jonah was the easy pick there, especially after seeing the stats. I mean, like I said, six best pass blocking grade of any tackle. What are your left tackles supposed to do? Oh, protect your quarterback's backside? His blind side? You have a Heisman Trophy winner? That's a big question we had coming in. It's like, who's going to protect Caleb this season with the losses that they had? And for him to have the sixth best in the country, that was pretty that was pretty outstanding. So, yeah, John Amonheim was a pretty easy pick here after Barry Lysander being on the Defensive Player of the Year and not being available. If we were to pick between... Chris, do you have an answer? I would probably give it to Joda just because mm. the right. offense was better than the defense. Good, good point. All right. So that. that is that is my my go-to if I'm picking between <laughs> these two. That is my go-to. Shotgun, the next award is the Not A Lot of Love Award. So we're giving an award specifically to someone who did not get a lot of love during the season, but you know, still felt was a key part for the season. I was tempted, tempted to go with a special teams player just because I feel like I'm the only one that pays attention to the special team player all the time. Um, But if that was the case, Kyron Hudson played over 200 snaps of special teams this year. He does a little bit of everything in games, punt return, punt coverage, kickoff coverage, like he can tackle, he can block, he can do, you know, whatever you need him to do on special teams. Those are the glue guys that you have to have in your, your program. But that's not who I want to go with. And he has some great touchdown catches and everything else. I'm going to go with Christian Roland Wallace. Now, I, I was debating, like, did he get enough love or not enough love for this to, to receive this award? 
but he was fantastic for them when they finally decided and when he finally got healthy because he was banged up in fall camp, you know, didn't get to a full start. So at the beginning of the season, he's kind of fluctuating. Do they want to use him as a nickel? Do they want to use him as safety? Do they want to use him as cornerback? When he finally took over the cornerback spot, it solidified things over there. He was a lockdown guy for them. And I don't think he got a lot of love from the fans necessarily uh, because cornerbacks never get a lot of love unless they're getting a ton of interceptions because you give a one reception in the game and fans are like, oh, I can't believe this guy. Bench um, him. Bench him. But I also don't think he gets a lot of love from the media because he was not very quotable. Uh, he was very you know quick with his answers and whatnot. So I don't think he was a guy that got written about a ton in that same regard. But I thought Christian Roland Wallace was really good this season and locked down one side of it, especially with the fluctuations. Like Demonte Jackson took over at the cornerback position – through as the season progressed, but Jacoby Covington getting hurt really hurt them. And then Jacoby Covington got hurt a week after or the same week that he took over as a starter for Sierra Wright, who had been a starter and then just disappeared. And I mean that a little bit literally because he's disappeared from you know the the team and whatnot as far as knowing what's going on. Um and then you know, it became Christian Roland Wallace's job to lose, and he took over and was dominant with it. For me, I'm going on the offensive side of the ball, and I think CRW is a great choice, so I applaud you for that. But my pick is Austin Jones, you know, a guy who has come in and has been the backup for two years behind, you know, a Travis Dye and a Marshawn Lloyd this year. Never complained was a consummate pro, was a veteran, led the young guys, made the most of his carries when he got them, and, you know, was called upon multiple times this season to step up when Marshawn Lloyd was down with injury. Obviously, when Travis Dye went down with injury last year, he was, there were stretches where Austin Jones was critical and played, took his game to another level. So Austin Jones, I was happy to see him go out with the bowl win. You know, he had mentioned that he hadn't ever played in a bowl game. So I, I think that's a, a cool aspect of the bowl season is seeing these guys, you know, get wins in bowls, you know, guys who haven't been there before. So my not a lot of love ward is going to the running back, Austin Jones, the former Stanford Cardinal who, you know, ended on a high note as a USC Trojan. He had never been in a he had never won a bowl game. He hadn't been in a bowl game before. Excuse me. Just a little Excuse quick me. correction. Uh in the same vein, um, not a lot of love for Darwin Barlow from the coaching staff. Like, God, this is a guy that I think I know he's gone on a couple of visits to some bigger schools, and I hope he gets that opportunity and becomes a starter and crushes it next year. But He's a guy that just every time he got on the field, you just felt like he was going to make a play happen. It seemed like that was pretty much the case, but he didn't get a ton of opportunities. So not a lot of love in a different aspect from the coaching staff for Darwin Barlow. Just throw it out there. Okay, next up is coach of the year. Who is your coach of the year? And by who, by you, I mean me, because you're pointing at me <laughs> because it's my turn. I'm sorry. I forgot. But my coach of the year I know it was just, you know, one game technically, but I'm giving my coach of the year to Taylor Mays. I don't care that he was a defensive <laughs> assistant for most of the season and he was technically an interim safeties coach, an interim defensive back coach. The secondary 
played some of their best football, maybe of the last two years, under Taylor Mays and his coaching. They tackled well. They covered well. They were physical. They were great shotgun. So I'm giving it to Taylor Mays. He took over a very depleted unit and turned out a good secondary in the Holiday Bowl. So Taylor Mays, come get your Coach of the Year award. Yeah, he told him he was going to hit him if uh, if they didn't. Um, oh, yeah, that would make me tackle. I'll tell you that much right now. If they didn't take care of their business, you know, he was going to come hit them. Um, so then I guess I'm not allowed to put Cliff Kingsbury here. You know, best looking coach of the year. Is that what we're doing? I mean, if that's your interpretation, sure. Cliff <laughs> would run away with this. If that's your interpretation. Uh, it's very interesting seeing him and Miller Moss, the dynamic during the on the sideline during the holiday bowl. That was that was kind of interesting because you know those guys have talked a ton throughout the season. And you could tell that there was that uh communication and there that connection between them two. This is a hard selection because of the underperformance of the team. So I said Dennis Simmons with a question mark. You know, because the wide receivers, we saw some positive, uh, a good amount of positives from them. Todd Washington getting a thousand yards. Brendan Rice taking that next step in his game. The emergence of Zachariah Branch, the emergence of, you know, Jacoby Lane at the end of the season, Deuce Robinson, those guys getting some more opportunities. Deuce Robinson finished as the third leading receiver as far as yardage on the team, which is kind of crazy. But then there's also the question mark of, Ah, but you didn't get anything out of Michael Jackson the third when you could have. Mario Williams and Dorian Singer kind of regressed this season versus definitely regressed from what they were last year, but from the expectations for sure. So, and even if you want to throw in Relique Brown, you know, I thought it was going to be a weapon for them in that position. Wasn't necessarily, but I don't know that there's a better choice. Now, I know some of those guys are inside guys with Luke Heward, but I'm looking at the biggest thing is the development of Brendan Rice into a true NFL guy, a guy that's going to be uh, you know probably a second-day draft pick this this uh, this April. Uh, I thought that was huge for him and for showing the development of the wide receivers. So I'm going to go with Dennis Simmons. What do you think, Chris? Yeah, I, I De- Dennis was probably my second pick before you know Taylor Mays. I just had to make the pick for T for T Mays. So, but Dennis Simmons would probably be my next in line to get this award. The next award shotgun is we'll miss you award. The player that will be missed the most from this team, and I was kind of writing that from our perspective, but you could interpret that as any way you want. Shotgun. I did not interpret it quite the same as you. Um, and I don't know who I would go with off the top of my head if I did interpret that way, but because Caleb Williams was already gone again, um, they would definitely miss him the most. But a guy who's leaving that I think is under-regarded from the, the fan base is Damani Jackson. I think oh, he's still I think he is still a guy that has unlimited potential with the size speed combination. Uh, the work ethic that he puts in, he's just very, he's still raw. People forget he hadn't played in basically two years before the season. And then he gives a couple catches and people were saying he's the worst cornerback they've ever seen in their life, probably. So when he le- when he gets to the transfer portal, everybody's like, good riddance, goodbye, whatever it is we have on our message board. When I think he's a guy that 
with the experience they gained this year, with another offseason of being healthy and trusting his knee and all those things, that he's bound for a breakout next year. And the fact that now I will credit USC since his departure, they have picked up some very some quality cornerbacks, some quality defensive backs. But I think he would still be a starter next year. You know, they bring in John Humphrey, they bring in uh, the cornerback from Mississippi State, and I still think Demai Jackson would start over those, over Prophet Brown, over everyone that played in that that game, because I think he has that much talent. And I think that, uh, you know, at Alabama, he'll have an opportunity to showcase that and we'll get great coaching and we'll see the potential that he actually has. And so we'll see if that's the case, if I'm right, if I'm wrong. But I think Demaya Jackson has a ton of potential still. And I think that's something that USC will miss next year because I think he has the, the opportunity to be a lockdown corner going forward. For me, I chose offensive lineman Justin Dietrich. And obviously, he is a experienced offensive lineman for USC's unit and a team captain and just an excellent locker room guy. But just from my own personal you know, viewpoint, I've known Justin a long time through the recruiting process, and I'm going to miss his humor and, you know, how nice he is. And he's just, you know, he's he turned into an old soul on the team. So I'm going to miss wa- watching him and joking with him and watching him walk up to practice like an old, old man. So I will miss <laughs> Didi, a.k.a. Justin Dietrich, uh for next season. So that is my We'll Miss You Award pick, Shotgun. In a similar vein, Max Williams, too. I know he's, he's in that same class for you um, and I as well. We've covered both those guys for Max is a fifth-year uh, junior, technically, Didich is a six-year senior. So that means I've covered Didich for eight years the first time I covered it. I don't know if you got him any earlier as a sophomore or freshman um, in his time. And then for Max Williams, probably seven, if not eight years as well. So I mean, we've known those guys for a third of their – more than a third of their life, Chris. That's wild. That's crazy wild, <laughs> Shotgun. The timing of it is perfect because I know you didn't want to go first on this award, but it's our final award, and it's the Helium Boys Award for the most serious non-US non-serious player. And that is up to your own interpretation for whatever you want. And for me, my Helium Board Boys Award, it was easy. It was easy, shotgun. It's going to Elijah Page. And you're asking me, why is it going to Elijah Page? I am asking you why. Because this season, Justin Dietrich and Elijah Page were roommates on a road game. I don't remember which road game. Early in the season. Justin Dietrich, early in the season. But Elijah Page and Justin Dietrich decided to watch Holes, which Elijah Page had never (laughs) seen before, which makes me feel old. And Elijah Page loved it so much that he wanted to watch Holes again the next time or the next week with Justin Dietrich. And Justin Dietrich said, no, we're not going to watch Holes. And then the team lost. So it became this sort of like running joke, superstition thing. So that is very serious, non-serious for me. So Elijah Page, come on down and collect 
your Helium Boys Award for the most serious, non-serious USC player this season. Is that a Shia LaBeouf movie? Shia LaBeouf. Yes. Look at at this Golden Globes knowledge over here. Look at that. Look at that (laughs) extensive Golden Globes knowledge. (laughs) Me, who who does not watch movies very much at all um, or TV shows. I watch live sports or watch film. I don't watch a ton of shows. I'm still working on it. Chris, I do want to let you know, and you will have to point out whatever the timestamp is on this tequila. I've restarted watching some MCU. I'm just saying, don't give me any spoilers. I'm still on Luke Cage season two, baby. <laughs> I will explain that after the break, but goddamn you, Shotgun. Goddamn you. My Helium Boys Award for the most serious, not serious player. Again, our own interpretation. I did not know where Chris was going with this, but I went with Eric Gentry. One, because I didn't have Eric Gentry anywhere else. I love Eric Gentry. I think he's a unicorn player. I think he has still has to grow and become the unique elite player that he can be. And he needs a defense coordinator, position coach, to put him in those right positions. But also, he's, he cracks me up. He cracks me up when we see him on the sideline. Um, he's got a connection with Chris that I don't even know if Chris really understands the connection that he has with Eric Gentry, but for whatever reason, Eric Gentry has has found this connection with Chris where they lock eyes and, like, there's head gestures and smiles and things that, like, like Chris is, like, his best friend. And I'm like, one, I'm jealous because I know that Eric Gentry, being from the Philly area, can unlock the key for me to more happiness because he knows all the best food spots um, in this area, and I'm I'm here in the outside of Philly, in New Jersey. So I want to get to know him a little bit more, just to learn the best food spots and whatnot. Um, and I've run into I ran into the Lloyd family flying out to a USC game. They're from Delaware, not too far away, but still same airport, flying out of Philly. So I got to know them a little bit on the flight, and I was I'm. Waiting for that flight where me and the Gentry family become, you know, I become an honorary Gentry family member. I'm waiting for it, Chris. But he, he's he got, he's such a unique player with his actions, a unique player with his abilities, but also with his emotions. And also the fact that he, you know, this season before the season was like, I'm going to be super calm. I'm not going to be the person that's, you know, yelling and screaming and stuff. And I would say he probably needs to bring the yelling and screaming back because USC needed a little bit more of that, I felt like, this season. I think that's a great pick. Also, just to add to his resume for this award, he would frequently play that game where he would point down and say, you dropped something, but there'd be nothing there. And when he looked down, he said, I got you. And then Jack got him back with his jersey. He got him, and he took that. You know, it was very fun. He loved that. So, yeah, I think it's the perfect pick. For most non-serious, he was serious non-serious player. He was also at the end of the Arizona State game. This is his quote-unquote homecoming game. The t- the school he transferred from. He was the happiest person alive. You know, he was dapping up his former teammates and stuff. But then he finds Michael Phelps in the you know because Michael Phelps and knows Lincoln Riley. He and his wife know Lincoln Riley and, and um, his wife, and he's like. He's like in shock to see Michael Phelps down there. And he's like dapping him up and giving him hugs and everything. And so it, was, it just cracked me up how excited he was about the win. But then also he's jumping up and down, like 
throwing his arms up in the air to the the band and the fans and stuff, but then also running into Michael Phelps and having a moment with him and like chatting with him was was very cool. He's he's he very, said he could beat him. I can't remember off the top. But he said something about uh, uh, about racing him, um, and I don't know if it was in the pool or what exactly. But there was something about racing him. I would have to go back and read your ghost notes, Chris, because either I put it in back into your ghost notes from my own observations, or you observed it yourself. Um, but he, he's a he's a character, and that's that's what's fun. He's literally the definition of most serious non serious because he's so joking. And he doesn't love to show his personality to the media a lot. Mm-hmm. So it's it's kind of that weird combination, but he's which obviously also, very intense. Which is also why I'm right. jealous of Chris, because he will show it to Chris. Chris is, uh, he's found the sliver in, you know, and that's what Chris does. This is why Chris is, is such a good reporter. He finds that sliver in and relates with players and whatnot to where they're giving him the head nods and stuff before the games, letting him know, all right, this is going to be a good game or this is not going to be a good game. Thank you for that little boost to my confidence there at the end there, Shotgun. I'm going to use this opportunity to go to break so I can cry about well, it. Well, Chris, uh, we have oh one no. We have one addition. Oh, that's right. I forgot. We have one addition um, from our, our buddy, Jack Smith, who said, what was the most Pac-12 moment since we're doing superlatives? What do you got, Chris? I mean, this one is a clear no-brainer like MVP or freshman of the year. It is the Cal-USC halftime debacle where they made the team come back and play. Oh, my the... God. I completely forgot about it. And, and Shagun, <laughs> re- erase whatever you have written down because it's this. Whatever you have, it's not going to come close to the shotgun. It's not. Go ahead and throw it all away because it's Cal-USC. The final second of the second of the first half being played to start the third quarter is the most bizarre thing I've ever seen in a college football game. And that's not even including the protest to start the game, which is not necessarily a Pac-12 thing, but sort of is because it's Cal. It's a Cal thing. But Cal's part of the Pac-12, so it makes sense. Whatever. That's all part of it, but still, just that whole thing. Has to be the most packed up thing. And then missing the kick, the longest ice in the history of field goal attempts <laughs> ever, which is just cherry on top of the whole thing. So it's Cal USC halftime. It's not even close shotgun. I don't even need to hear what you're going to say because you're right. I can just go to break right now. You're right. You're right. I'm you're, right. Re- you're right. I will give my answer. And but it, to A say what, answer. I, what I had written down, you're correct. Um, I, I'll say what I had written down. It was Arizona not going for two with the chance to win at USC, losing that's that good. game, and then becoming dominant the rest of the year. Because that's so Pac-12. It's like, oh, we'll start out. We'll be USC with Sam Darnold. We'll start one and three, and then we'll dominate the rest of the year, but not get into the college football playoff. Because that's the Pac-12. And the Pac-12 even making it to the college football playoff and losing, very Pac-12 with them as well. But you are absolutely correct. The fact that that halftime, that halftime debacle, the change in everything, I don't know. I, I think I texted you guys and let you guys know because they were talking about it on the broadcast. It was one of the games I was not at. I'm like, they're going to come back out and kick the field goal. I don't know if they announced it in the the press box to to the guys who were there. I think I delivered the news to you that 
they're going to come back out and kick this field goal. And this, this, the first half is not technically over. But then all that happened, the protest to that whole, just the first half of the of that game, delayed because of a protest. The second half is delayed because of the first half. You have the entire time during halftime, 20 minutes, to warm up and kick exactly the kick that you were going to kick in the game and Dennis Lynch missed it. Like that's that's there's no more Pac-12 moment than that. You are absolutely correct, Chris. Let's go to break real quick then. And on that note, as you said, we're going to break. Hopefully, we make the field goal coming after the break. Here we go, shotgun. Selling a little or a lot. Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage, to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is here to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 15% better on average compared to other other leading commerce platforms and sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. and Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24/7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash odyssey podcast all lowercase go to shopify.com slash odyssey podcast now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in shopify.com slash odyssey podcast knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling meeting new friends or just even to master a new skill but it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes That's why so many people trust Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language you want to learn, like Spanish, French, Italian, Chinese, and more. You won't just be studying English translations. The Rosetta Stone intuitive process helps you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com slash rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com slash rs10 today. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. All right, and we're back. Shotgun is all out of adult uh, apple juice on his side of the globe. <laughs> a whole nother bottle of something over here. He has a whole nother bottle of something else. 
Uh, and just baby. the and just the quick little MCU thing about Shotgun. He, for some reason, has made it his life's goal to watch the. It's not. It's not. Um, it's not in. It's what is the word I'm looking for? Uh, it's not in release. It's not a release order, but it's MCU order, chronological order of the entire MCU, which includes movies and TV shows. So Shotgun has never seen Avengers Endgame. He's never seen Avengers uh, Infinity War. He has seen jack shit, (laughs) evidently. I don't even know what the... No, you, you don't... You haven't seen, like, the thing about this whole MCU. You have seen... Yes, he has seen literal uh, MC movies. He's seen several, but he hasn't seen like the whole thing that swept up the entire world when it came out, I don't know, 20 years ago. What, Black Panther? I saw Black Panther. Shotgun (laughs) is determined to watch all of these things which will have no bearing on the end results of seeing these two movies, these two quintessential, it will have no bearing. And I've been telling him this. That's not my fault. They should have made the defenders portion a part of the MCU more. It's a great series. I mean, it's a great, I don't know what you call it. It's not a trilogy. It's not whatever the four different shows, Luke Cage, Iron Fist, uh, defenders, daredevil, and Jessica Jones. They, they should have made them incorporated them better. They chose not to. They could have. Like Luke Cage should be an Avenger. Let's be real. Come on. The man's bulletproof. I yeah, I mean, I don't I don't have the time or the energy to go into detail about this and why <laughs> you're not not that you're wrong in the in the sense of uh, Luke Cage should be an Avenger, but just not you're wrong and you should just watch what? They, what you need to watch to get there, you don't need to watch all the extra stuff. What they they just didn't want a black man to be part of the Avengers. Oh, all right, Avengers. all right, all right, all right. That's enough. That's Bullshit. enough. That's enough. That's what it is. Uh, on on that note, we are going to questions. Had to go all the way to Wakanda and get somebody. Couldn't just get somebody from Harlem. Let's be honest. R R I P to Chadwick Boseman. R I P. Uh, uh, that's true. Jackie Robinson. Man, what a great IMDb. Um, Characters he played, fantastic. R.I.P. for sure. He was he was electric on the screen. From Black Panther you know to Jackie Robinson, get into the Golden Globes. Give that man his uh, posthumous, um, you know, lifetime award achievement award. I have no idea why Shotgun is so movie focused after watching. I, I don't either. Thirty seconds of the Golden Globes. It's like twelve uh, minutes we, for sure. We have a lot of questions, but I'm. Calling it all, but we're only doing five shotgun because okay. this podcast has gone way longer than it should have. We're gonna go with our colleague Jack Smith. Way too early prediction question. Will USC win at either Washington and Michigan games? Will will USC win either of the Washington and Michigan games next season? If so, which one? They are both on the road, I believe, which tough is tough. tough. Is tough, very tough. But I will say they do win one of them, and I think they win at Washington. I've already said that Michigan's going to lose their their opening new Big Ten um, conference game. So, Chris, who's that against? I keep forgetting. Uh, USC. USC. Oh, okay. So I'm picking that. So I've already got one of them. 
USC could definitely win at Washington too. I, I don't know all the losses that Washington will have, but uh, you know, Penix is going to be gone. So who fills in there? That's a big question. I, I think that I have a little bit more faith in the continuity of Kalen DeBoer and what they've been able to do in Washington with their Montlake um, collective and whatnot than what could happen at Michigan, especially if Jim Harbaugh leaves. If Jim Harbaugh leaves, maybe you see uh, you know, a number of guys decide it's time for me to go to the portal, it's time for me to go to the draft, all those type of things if Jim Harbaugh actually leaves, and that could play into it. So I'm going to go with USC winning in the big house, and I'm excited to be there, Chris. My first time going to Ann Arbor, first time being at the big house. Be there. I got to go ahead and book my flights now or book my drive now so that we can go and uh, have a blast. We will have a meetup before that game, guys. So make sure that you are already booking your ticket. Even if you don't go to the game, come out to Ann Arbor. We're going to have a meetup. It's going to be spectacular. We are going to have a meetup at every road game next season. That includes Vegas, even though it's neutral site. We will have one there. And you best be believing I'm going to have one in College Park, Maryland. If you're not there, you're not real. Shotgun, I know you're going to be there. We are going to find – we're going to go to Chris Trevino's hot spot. Whatever is the spot that you loved in, in college, Chris, I'm going to make sure that it happens that we have a takeover there, whether it is forceful or not. That will be up to, to the owners of the establishment's um, own desire. If they do not agree to it beforehand, it's going to be a hostile takeover and we're to take over the place. Just saying right now. So wherever it was the Chris Trevino hotspot in college, that's where we're going. And I'm still looking for that Chris Trevino statue on campus. We don't know if they're going to let us party in the library, but we'll see what happens. We'll see yeah. what happens. Is there a place in College Park called the library? Because no, it's the literal, it's the literal there, library. There's but, other places in the country where the library, quote unquote, is a strip club or a bar or different things, including downtown LA. There is a library bar. Very nice there bar. is a strip club called the library, and I'm so disappointed they don't have membership call cards called library cards. This is just a wasteful <laughs> marketing opportunity. That's all I'm saying. Gustavo, next question. I assume EA College Football Game will give us an update during before the natty. Are y'all going to be jumping back into college football gaming? I'm sure we'll all be appointing Gerard as a director of recruiting in the game. I'm absolutely jumping back into EA College Football. It's one of my favorite games, one of my most like memorable games growing up, as I'm sure a lot of you know college football fans, they love playing this game. Who doesn't love building a Heisman winner? Who doesn't love doing all those kinds of things through this game? So absolutely, I'm going to be getting back into this this game and I'm hoping I can implement it some way into the composite two star recruits podcast, whether that's, you know, live gaming, we're, we're doing live kind of like Twitch stuff and we're whatever. I'm, I'm hoping I can implement that, but absolutely. We're going to be playing this game. Or at least I am going to be playing this game. I'm scared, Chris. I have really not played a video game consistently, at least in almost a decade. Maybe a little bit less than that, but it's because the NCAA game got discontinued. That was the game I played most frequently. And I also, my roommate recently got an Oculus and I'm like, oh, I'm going to try the game. And it's been two months and I have not really purchased a game to try with it. 
but I know it's going to drag me in. I, I try to get out and it keeps dragging me back in, Chris. Just keeps dragging me back in. Um, so I feel like it's going to happen. It'll be interesting if we set up some leagues or something. I mean, if we can get enough Peristyle members to have a full, I'm sure we can get a full conference. But if we can get a full, you know, power five or power four, maybe we set that up. I'm just saying I'm going to dominate you guys if that oh, is the it's case. Already started. If that's the case. I will say I used to, as one, I was an RA in college, a residential assistant. So with that job, with the payment of that job, besides writing people up, which I hated to do, you had to put on a certain amount of, I don't know what it's projects or you know events or whatever each semester. That's part of your job. One of my events every year was an NCAA football tournament, and so I would set up the bracket and everything, full, full uh, campus wide tournament, and I would also participate in it. And I never finished worse than fourth. I'm just saying. I'm not saying. I'm just saying. Okay. He's saying he's a dog. He's saying he's got that EA dog in him is what he's telling me. Yeah, a decade ago I did. Okay, we'll we'll see. We'll see what happens. I'm going to be looking like uh, Emmett, Emmett uh, Smith and uh, Randy Moss, Jerry Rice, and Dan Marino putting their uniforms back on for those Tostitos oh, commercials or whatever they are. Oh, damn. Oh, damn. <laughs> we have El Chicano. Helium boys, how are you guys feeling about a four-man cornerback group of Nicholson, Humphrey, Covington, and Brown. And besides Marcellus Williams, which other DB commit will play cornerback? Thanks, El Chicano. Great pod, fellas. Personally, for me, looking at it, I'm actually okay with that group going into spring. I think Covington is one of my picks to be a starter next season. Humphrey obviously has the experience in Danton Linden's scheme. Nicholson, Humphrey, Covington, all very big, long cornerbacks. Brown, impressed in the Holiday Bowl. I think you have a lot of really good pieces there. Marcellus Williams, the early enrollee, you know, battle-tested in the Trinity League. He'll be thrown into the fire. I think he can see the field early, get into the rotation. And the other DB commits, Braylon Conley will be playing cornerback as well. And then Isaiah Rubin is also a cornerback. You know, whatever happens with his signing or not signing deal, with all that was going on. And then a guy to keep an eye on is uh, Makai Crawford, who came in last year, was a signing, Malachi Crawford, excuse me. I get Malachi Lemon and Makai Crawford mixed up sometimes, even though they're two very different heights, two very (laughs) different heights. And I say that because Crawford, six foot four, about 190 pounds, needs to add more weight. You didn't hear about him because he was hurt all year. He got, I don't know if he arrived with the injury or he got hurt in spring, but he was done in the spring camp, spent all year rehabbing, got back a little bit in holiday bowl prep. So again, six foot four, another long cornerback. I'm excited to see what he can do in spring. And hopefully he's fully healthy and ready to get into the mix. I don't expect him to be a factor, but I just want to see what he kind of looks like. And maybe he is. So that's another name to keep in keep in mind with that cornerback group. Yeah, the the outliers of that group are Braylon Conley at six foot and one seventy, and then Prophet Brown at I believe he's listed at five eleven and one ninety. Because the rest of the group is 
giants for cornerbacks, Jacoby Covington is 6'2", 200. He's on the low end as far as height uh, uh, in this group. I mean, you talked about Malachi Crawford being 6'3", 6'4". The guys they brought in, John Humphreys, 6'2", 205. He was like 160 in high school, if that. Like he was, he and Kalen Bullock had very similar body types. They were both around 6'2", 6'3", super long, lanky, no meat on their bones at all. UCLA put some weight on him for sure. Um, He's a guy I really liked coming out of high school. USC was big on him as well. UCLA actually beat out USC to get his commitment initially. And USC kind of pivoted a little bit to to get Kalen Bullock in that group uh, from John Muir, both high school teammates, as well as the other cornerback who went to Texas. Chris, if you can remember his name, I feel like it started with a J as well. Johnson, I believe Johnson. Johnson, Jamari Johnson. I can't remember off the top of my head as well. But yeah, he. I didn't get to see him play. Actually, he was banged up the couple times I saw John Muir that year. But John Humphrey, 6'2". DeCarlos Nicholson. 6'3", 195. So you got 6'2", 6'3", 6'2", 6'4", as potential guys there. And then you throw in Prophet Brown, who has the most experience of, of those uh, second tier of guys, the non-transfers, the, the non-starters for USC. And then, you know, we'll see what Braylon Conley, when he comes in, you know, if he can do anything, if he can bust in the rotation. But I feel comfortable with having seven guys there, especially if they, if they can get Isaiah Rubin in. Because they – Played with six all season. Now it's dangerous because there are times when they lost three guys and didn't have three guys available in the games. They didn't have, they only had two cornerbacks available in that holiday bowl. And if one of those guys goes down early, you know, Prophet Brown on a kickoff return or Jacoby Covington on a punt coverage because those guys were playing special teams too. One of those guys gets banged up. I think they were probably going to have to throw Makai Lemon back over on that side. Um, and that's a great you know, emergency piece to have, but you, they want to make sure they have enough guys. And I think seven will be fine for them. Uh, but I, I wouldn't be surprised still if they saw someone out there they really liked and said, you know, there's another piece that we like, especially if it's a younger guy that can get in the transfer portal or whatnot. But I feel pretty comfortable with the the cornerback group. Um, and the fact that there is experience on that group with the Carlos Nich- Nicholson, with John Humphrey, with Jacoby Covington. Covington was a guy I was really high on at the end of last season and then just didn't happen. You know, I thought he would take over and kind of be that guy. Now is the time. He's got to do it this year. He's got to be, you know, build off of that, that holiday bowl where he was terrific and, you know, really just take over and be the guy in the, in the secondary this season. Anthony in LA, question of the early enrollees. Who's the most interesting, intriguing going into spring? Only pick one player each. I think there's a lot of obviously different ways we can go with this. I'm gonna throw out Desmond Stevens, the mm-hmm. linebacker. Interesting. And I've never I've never heard Gerard just straight up, I don't want to say gush, but just was so impressed with his film and being absolutely puzzled why. He didn't have more Big Ten offers. He didn't have, I think Michigan State was the biggest Big Ten offer. And coming out of that region, you know, he's six foot three. You know, I think he was listed at 215 in high school, but he told Gerard he's already up to 225. He is gaining weight and he is physical and he's athletic. He was a former cornerback, was listed as a wide receiver in the system, 
played running back as well, in addition to linebacker. USC might have gotten an amazing steal with Desmond Stevens, and I'm excited to see what he looks like in the spring, especially with this new scheme that is, you know, more linebacker friendly or more linebacker folk. Uh, the fo- linebackers are, are a key focal point to it. So I'm excited to see what he's going to do in the scheme and what Danton Lynn can get out of him in year one. So I'm going to say Desmond Stevens, even though I acknowledge there are a lot of great options out of the early enrollees to choose from. I'm going to cheat a little bit, Chris. Gotcha. But I'm going to start with Cameron Fountain. I mean, he already looks different than when I saw him during the season. Uh, the 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 booty is bigger. Let's just put it that way. The booty is bigger. Seeing him in the the All American Bowl, he's added weight to the lower half. I thought he would be. He's raw, and he's go, there's is going to be some you know learning curve for him for sure from the the uh, level of play that he was playing in Metro Atlanta to what he's going to face, but you saw the glimpses of it in that All-American game. And the fact that he's added weight to his lower half already is a huge eye-opener for me that he's a guy maybe maybe he is a potential impact guy early. I thought that he would be a year away for sure, but you add him, you, you're super excited about him, and a year later he's a guy that just burst on the scene after he's added some weight in college and stuff, and maybe you know maybe that's already going to happen. So he's one, and then I'm gonna cheat a little bit with a transfer, Jaden Richardson, the D3 wide receiver from from Tufts. I've talked to some people, and everyone absolutely raves about this kid. His work ethic. Him as a teammate, everything he does, his work in the weight room, he's just fucking yoking on people, you know, 6'2", 210, and it's just like negative 8% body fat. Like, he, he is, uh, you know, absolute machine, and he attacks everything from the people I've talked to. So he's a guy I'm super intrigued to see. What happens in spring? Is he a guy that surprises us that he's kind of in the mix a little bit more than some of those wide receivers that we already know a little bit better. All right, Shotgun. And the final one comes from Samuel, a little bit of a fun one. Since Twitter was inventing stories about 10-foot aliens last week, what would you do if you actually found yourself face-to-face with a 10-foot alien? Try to run? Try to fight it? Try to communicate with it? Pull out your phone and live stream on Instagram Live? Or something else? Well, for me, I would first confirm (laughs) that it's not Victor Wembenyama, (laughs) because <laughs> if it was, I would get his autograph because I was a huge Spurs fan. So I would just confirm that it wasn't him. And then I'm probably going to run shotgun. My fight or flight is going to be like, run, bitch. Get out of there. Shotgun, on the other hand, I have a feeling he might reach out to his USC basketball contacts and be like, hey, you might want to check out this alien. <laughs> He's a little slender, but you put some, get him in the weight room, you know. That's that's why USC yeah. likes him. Yeah, yeah, that's why USC likes him. You might want to offer this kid. <laughs> I don't know what his eligibility is. I don't know what the, the rules say about it, but maybe well, give him a look, coach. What, what's his galactic eligibility here, coach? Yeah, I'm not sure. Let me check in on this. Um, I, it, I think it depends on, you know, the demeanor, the, you got to read the situation, right? 
Like if he looks like Gizmo the body language. from Gremlins or he looks like E.T., you try to communicate, right? Now, that's the difference in a very small extraterrestrial, I guess. I guess Gizmo is extraterrestrial. I don't know for sure. A very small creature versus a slender man or an Independence Day alien. Like, that's a lot different. You know, there's, there's, you look at Men in Black, there's a lot of aliens in there. You're like, oh, yeah, I could talk to that alien versus other ones like Mike Tyson. You're like, I'm not messing with that. I'm not messing with it. So, um, I think it all depends Tyson on the alien. Mike Tyson's an alien in, in Men in Black, the original, um, I believe. On the when they pull up the big screen, and it's the teacher is an alien. There's other ones, I didn't know that checking in on different that. ones across the, across the globe. Um, but I think it depends on, you know, you guys got to read the situation and hopefully the aliens aren't being tricky and just, uh, you know, being super cute and cuddly and then destroying us. That could also happen too. But I would probably, my guess would be, I would try to communicate. Okay. Ask it some questions. I'd be like, Hey, here's the healing voice podcast. What do you think? Would you like to come on the podcast? Would you like yeah. to come on the podcast? Can I hold do you? Do you, know when, do you know when Manana? Shotgun's going to go uh, ISO ball and dominate the the 10-foot alien scrum. I'll tell you that much. <laughs> I'll tell you that much right now. And Shotgun, that's going to wrap up this show. I don't have to take it or leave it for this week because I knew this one would be running long. Oh, you didn't want to go with, with uh, Fight on Rusty's question of what's your favorite rumor of the three-week offseason thus far and how do you relate that rumor to cereal flavors? I feel it felt like that was up your your alley chris i feel like it is it's probably that big dave is a sleeper agent against usc that's probably the number one rumor i don't know how to relate that to a cereal flavor i'm sorry i don't the answer is don't is captain crunch because it's a sleeper agent because it's good but it destroys your mouth okay there it is there it is i i served it up for shotgun and then he put it in the hole he put it in the hole that's why we're the helium boys so there we go. We got that sixth question in. I just want to leave you on something fun because you have been Mr. Golden Globes. So, Shotgun, <laughs> you just won a Golden Globe. What is your celebration process? What do you think you're doing? Are you going to your favorite local bar in L.A.? Are you going to Christopher Nolan's after party? Are you what are you doing? doing are you going in and out i'm sure that's the topper for you what are you doing well how are you celebrating after you know a crowning achievement of winning a golden globe i'm an after party guy like i want to be a part uh, i want to keep the night go if i win i want to keep the night going the entire time if i ever won a national championship as a player it would we want to continue this party you know my i was lucky enough to win our uh, conference tournament in baseball my senior year that was it there was no NCAA tournament for us. We wanted to keep the party going the entire night. They don't let this party in. This day is going to be remembered, at least some parts of it, at least through the pictures and whatnot, through the Polaroid camera for from the hangover. You know, we're going to remember it that way. Um, so keep the party going that way, and then have food delivered. You know, there's all this Grubhub. There's it's a great photo of Paul Giamatti being in and out. But the reason why Paul Giamatti goes in and out. He's done this how many times? Like he's he's like it's not like oh this is my first win I gotta 
celebrate in the biggest ways. Like, all right, I got to win. I'm just going to get some burgers. It's cool. It's like you've been there before, baby. You've yeah. been in the show. Yeah. It's all right. I, I, I'm not one to act like I've been there. I'm one to act like a fool. Let's have a great time. This is a major achievement. This is a, a major award. Hang, Put that lamp in the front window. Uh, there's going to be a fragile. The leg is going to stand out. The neighbors are going to see it. That award will be shown to everyone. He's going to wake up on his front lawn holding the Golden Globe <laughs> after a night out. That is what it's going to happen. Uh, Shotgun, you hey, mentioned Chris, that you don't want... The- did you get that Fragile a Christmas story reference? Because I wanted to make sure that it was known to you because that is one of our bosses, uh, our publisher, Ryan Abraham's favorite movies. His favorite Christmas movie is A Christmas Story. So I, I did that not know there. that. I it's did a major not know that. Award. Shout out. Shout out to Ryan Abraham. The leg lamp. Our fearless, the leg lamp. Uh, Shotgun, you mentioned not wanting the night to end if you won the Golden Globe. Well, you didn't win the Golden Globe, Shotgun. Oh. So this podcast has to end. I, I did continue to ask my roommate who was watching the Golden Globes every time I would uh, check in and be like, did I win yet? Did I win yet? For some reason, she kept telling me no. I don't know. It's weird. Shame. Shame. One day. They, One day, they, shotgun. They did make stand-up comedy apparently a new award. I was told, right? I saw that. I saw that. Yep, uh, they did. So when that is wasn't the in the twelve minutes he watched. Uh, I, I got told that part. But when is the podcast, the USC podcast, going to be a part of the award show? I, I, we got a chance, Chris. We got a chance. We we got a chance. We're getting closer. When they start giving out podcasts, Golden Globes, we'll be right there, baby. We'll be right. <laughs> In the thick of it. I can guarantee you that. I'm Chris. That is Shotgun. I'm sorry, my brain melted at that moment and I forgot what I was saying. But I'm Chris. That's Shotgun. Maybe I'm Shotgun and he's Chris. But that's going to wrap up another episode of the Helium Boys podcast. We had no shout outs, Shotgun. He's doing, he's gesturing what? for the merch. There was no shout-outs. I have no shout-outs for this week. I didn't forget. I just this, don't have any. Blasphemy, Chris. I let, let the people know where they can find it. You can find Helium Boys merch at theparastyleshop.com. Again, I said I only wanted one person in this world, at least one person in this world, walking around with our faces on their, their chest. And that has happened. That is happening. People have purchased our faces. So I'm content with that. <laughs> But Shotgun is not content with that. But I just want to say, if you want to buy merch and support the mer- merch, support the podcast, go to P- Peristyle, theparastyleshop.com, and you can check that out. That's all I got to say. Make sure you check out check out that. Yeah, buy your merch as well as please like, subscribe, and review. Give us the five-star review. That helps as well. So we can get to the next person. If you're not going to buy the merchandise, then maybe the next person will. <laughs> he said what he said. He's Shotgun. I'm Chris. Thank you for joining us on the Healing Boys podcast, and we will catch you next time. We appreciate you. Peace.